As Hunter Biden's former business partner, Devon Archer, prepares to testify, the stage is set for Joe Biden's possible impeachment. Republicans struggle to fill the stage for the first presidential debate, and Israel passes a judicial reform package prompting spasms of apoplexy. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Thousands of my listeners have already secured their network data. Join them at expressvpn.com slash Ben. So Joe Biden is not just an innocent elderly gentleman. He's also an amazing father who cares deeply about his drug-addicted son, Hunter. And that is the only reason why he has been squiring Hunter around, or whether Hunter has been squiring him around. Their connection is purely on the up and up. And any accusations of Biden family corruption involving Joe Biden are absolutely out of bounds. They are wrong and you shouldn't talk about them. This is the narrative you've heard over and over again. And Joe Biden has repeated this narrative over and over and over. So, for example, Joe Biden has been asked at this point about a thousand times about Hunter Biden's businesses because Hunter Biden for a decade made money by running around planet Earth, picking up giant bags of cash and then doing God knows what with those giant bags of cash. There have been serious questions about how Joe Biden accrued all of his wealth. Where did all this money come from? Serious questions. In fact, a lot of those questions were at the center of Donald Trump's first impeachment inquiry when Donald Trump called up the president of Ukraine and asked him to look into allegations of corruption involving Burisma, which was paying Hunter Biden something like $83,000 a month while Joe Biden was vice president and presiding over the foreign policy of the United States with regard to Ukraine. Remember, that resulted in Donald Trump being impeached for the first time. Well, these serious questions have been swirling about Hunter and Joe Biden for a long time. And every single time, Joe Biden has said, I never knew a damn thing about my son's business. Not once. I am purely innocent. Hunter is a wonderful guy and there's nothing to see here. Here's Joe Biden saying it over and over and over again. Have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. What's your understanding of what your son was doing for an extraordinary amount of money? I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. I found out he was on the board after he was on the board. And that was it. And there's nobody. Well, you've had a lot of time. Isn't this something you want to get to the bottom of? No, because I trust my son. I have not taken a penny from any foreign source ever in my life. We learned that this president paid 50 times the tax in China, has a secret bank account with China, does business in China. And in fact, is talking about me taking money. I have not taken a single penny from any country whatsoever, ever. My son has not made money in terms of this thing about, uh, what are you talking about, China. I have not had, the only guy made money from China is this guy. He's the only one. Nobody else has made money from China. Okay, here is the thing. Joe Biden is a liar. He is a liar. We know for a fact that Joe Biden knew about his son's businesses. The notion that he did not know about his son's businesses is absurd. It is absurd on its face. We're going to go through the entire timeline. And now it increasingly appears that Joe was in on it. And as more and more people around Hunter Biden are called to testify, and as more and more records emerge showing people openly talking about attempting to bribe Joe Biden via Hunter, impeachment is going to be on the table. I'm just predicting it right now. Inside the next year, there will be impeachment inquiries into Joe Biden. Forget inquiries. There will probably be an impeachment vote inside the next year on Joe Biden because of the corruption that is pretty obviously engulfing the Biden family here. Devon Archer is the latest person who is set to testify to the House Republican Oversight Committee. He's supposed to do that within days. Three times they've moved this testimony. Devon Archer and Hunter formed Rosemont Seneca Partners back in 2009, along with Christopher Hines, the son-in-law of former Senator John Kerry. He and Hunter served as managing partners of the firm. Archer and Hines had been college roommates at Yale. 
Archer and Hunter Biden, according to the UK Daily Mail, each landed lucrative seats on the board of Burisma, despite Hunter not having any expertise in the field, despite him being a drug addict so bad that he was kicked out of the United States Navy. The firm brought in a reported $11 million through the the arrangement based on information gleaned from Hunter's infamous laptop. They were photographed golfing with then Vice President Biden back in 2014. And now Devin Archer is expected to talk with the House Oversight Committee. His interview is supposed to take place behind closed doors, according to an aide who noted such appearances are usually led by committee staff. Panel Chair James Comer, who issued the subpoena, says he will testify about, quote, all the times he saw Biden meet with Hunter's business associates. Following reports, Hunter made a habit of putting his dad on speakerphone in a possible bid to impress potential partners and clients. And that comes after Comer and other top Republicans have repeatedly accused Joe Biden of taking part in crimes, but failing so far to produce the hard evidence. But here is the evidence that is coming. Okay, so let me just begin with this. And this is the statement that should hover over everybody's imagination when you're talking about Joe and Hunter Biden. First of all, Joe knew full well that Hunter Biden was a drug addict. First rule of drug addicted family members or friends, deprive them of money because they use the money to buy drugs. Joe Biden did not do that. Instead, he lent his name and apparently Air Force Two to his son so that they could run around while Hunter picked up bags of cash. Here is the statement that should hover in all of everyone's mind as we examine the timeline here of the relationship between Hunter and foreign businesses and his dad, who is now the president of the United States and was vice president for much of this. Here is the statement. This is a text from Hunter Biden to his daughter in 2019. It's on the infamous Hunter Biden laptop, the non-Russian disinformation laptop that Hunter Biden, drug-addicted derelict, left at a computer repair store. Quote, I hope you can all do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard. But don't worry, unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary. That is a text from Hunter Biden to his daughter, 2019. Now, that's kind of the ballgame, is it not? Do you think that Hunter Biden is lying to his daughter when he texts that? That actually no money moved via Hunter Biden to Joe? That actually just making all of this up? Does that sound like the kind of thing that you would text to a family member being entirely false? That no money had ever changed hands, ever? Or does that sound like that has the ring of truth about it? In just one second, we're going to go through the full timeline here because there is now mounting evidence that not only was Hunter obviously speaking with Joe about all this. In fact, we know that he was speaking with Joe about all of this. Dan Goldman, who is a Democratic congressperson, essentially spilled as much the other day in an open hearing. It it goes much further than this. The chances that money was flowing from foreign sources to Hunter and then from Hunter to Joe are extremely high. And when... Joe Biden said in open debate that he'd never received a foreign dollar. Technically, that may be true. He may have received the money directly from his son. They're being very squirrely and very lawyerly over at the White House. They're changing their tune, even. They've abandoned now the line that Joe knew nothing about Hunter's business dealings because it's obviously not true. Now, we're going to go through the timeline in just one second. First, let's talk about who you trust. You shouldn't trust big tech with your data. It's just a dumb thing to do. Those people, they use your data to make money off of you. They have a backdoor to the government very often. Your data is your business. You shouldn't be handing over your data to online data brokers who are selling your information to the Department of Homeland Security. To mask my own digital footprints, I protect myself with ExpressVPN. Think how much of your life is on the internet. Every site you visit, video, you watch, message you send, all of it gets tracked and data mined. When you're connected to ExpressVPN, your IP address is hidden. That makes it much more difficult for data brokers to identify who you are. ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. ExpressVPN might be the premier sponsor of this show. It is truly the best VPN on the market because I've checked out other VPNs. It doesn't slow down my computer. It's super easy to download, like one click, and it's super easy to implement one more click. And now it is running on your computer, your, your laptop, on your phone. 
Protect yourself by visiting expressvpn.com slash Ben right now. Find out how you can get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to more on this in just a moment. First, financial experts thought we were in the clear. While experts anticipated rate cuts from the Fed, inflation in the United States remains a significant economic concern. Think about it. The U.S. is in the hole by $34 trillion, but we're going to continue to print money and borrow money, which means the prices that you pay every day are going to continue to rise. So we can either bury our heads in the sand or we could, you know, do the smart thing that you do financially, which is diversify. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation. Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. You're not going to pay a penny out of pocket. Gold is part of my savings strategy. I get my gold from Birch Gold. They've been the exclusive gold partner of The Daily Wire for over seven years now, literally helping thousands of our listeners. They can help you too. Text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist about protecting your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text Ben to 989898. Right now, again, diversification, just a smart fiscal strategy. Go check them out right now. Text Ben to 989898 to get started. Okay, so let's go through some of the timeline here because the timeline is really, really damning. And it is perfectly obvious that there's no chance at all. I mean, there's a zero chance, zero, that Joe Biden didn't know about Hunter's business dealings. And there's an extraordinarily low chance that Joe never benefited from Hunter Biden's business dealings. Those chances are vanishingly small. I'll explain why, because we're going to go through the entire timeline here. And we are also going to go through some of the documents that have now been provided by confidential human sources talking about what the Ukrainians, for example, were saying about Joe and Hunter Biden. And we'll talk about what exactly Devin Archer has already said, and what Tony Bobolinsky, another business partner of, of Hunter Biden's, has said. Hey, so on November 1st, 2013, this is a timeline that's been put together by the House Oversight Committee. On November 1st, 2013, Hunter Biden and some of his friends created China BHR. Okay, China BHR was a Chinese investment firm. Bohai Harvest RST Equity Investment Fund. It was controlled by the Bank of China. It was focusing on M&A and investment in and reforms of state-owned enterprise. That was in November of 2013. In December of 2013, Vice President Biden traveled with Hunter Biden on Air Force Two to China and met the CEO of the company, Jonathan Lee. Shortly thereafter, BHR's business license was approved and Hunter Biden was magically a board member. So understand that the way that it works when it comes to foreign corruption is foreign states believe that access to high-ranking American officials means that they are going to get sweetheart deals. The reason they believe this is because in their own country, this is in fact how it works. If you're in China and you want to get something done, you're going to have to go to the top levels of the Politburo. You're going to have to talk with members of the CCP. And if high-ranking political members of the CCP approve a thing, that means that you're going to get special benefits. And so the Chinese assume that the same thing works in the United States, that you have access to Joe Biden. That means that magically you're going to get sweetheart treatment in the United States. The same thing is true in Ukraine. This is why they're constantly attempting to buy access to American politicians. Even though connection with an American senator is is worth like a cup of coffee, the reality is you can be connected to a a bunch of American senators and it may make no difference to your business's future. You can be connected to a lot of politicians and it won't do anything. If you live in a foreign corrupt country where you have to know a high-ranking member of the government to get anything done, knowing high-ranking members of the American government you think is going to get things done. So do you think it's a coincidence that in November of 2013, Hunter Biden starts a fund with the Chinese government effectively? And one month later, Joe is squiring Hunter there and meeting with the CEO of this brand new fund. And then it's getting greenlit by the Chinese. Do you think that that's a coincidence? February 5th, 2014. 
Kenz Rakashev, a Kazakhstani businessman, meets with Hunter Biden at a hotel in Washington, D.C. In April of 2014, Burisma appoints Hunter business associates to their board of directors being paid something like $83,000 a month for nothing, for nothing. April 22nd, 2014, Rakesha's Singaporean company wired $142,000 through his Latvian company to a Rosemont entity. Now, Rosemont Seneca is, again, the company that was originally founded by Hunter Biden and Devin Archer and John Kerry's son-in-law. April 22nd of 2014, that same day, Vice President Biden traveled to Ukraine and gave an anti-corruption speech about Ukraine. So it was clear that he was running foreign policy in Ukraine, right? Literally at the same time this is happening. So April 15th, 2014 is when Hunter is appointed to the board of Burisma. And now April 22nd, 2014, you have Joe Biden talking about corruption in Ukraine. And not only that, this becomes now a running theme. Joe Biden is going to run foreign policy in Ukraine. As we'll see, this has some pretty significant ramifications for how Burisma runs its business and how the money flows. It's a delicate thing to say to a group of leaders uh, in their House of Parliament, but uh, um, you, uh, you have to fight the cancer of corruption that is, uh, that is endemic in your system right now. Um, I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev, and, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to press conference. Said, "No, nah, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." Okay, so this is him openly saying the thing, as we will see. Right, the thing that he is saying is that he basically crammed down on Ukraine the kind of deal that Donald Trump was accused of threatening the Ukrainians with and got impeached for the first time. You remember that in that in that call, phone call, the perfect phone call of Vladimir Zelensky, you remember that Donald Trump appeared to say that he was thinking of withholding aid to Ukraine if they didn't dig up corruption on the Biden family. And it was like, whoa, that's quid pro quo. Whoa, that's terrible. Here's Joe Biden saying, we're going to withhold from you aid from Ukraine unless you get rid of this particular prosecutor, Viktor Shokin. Viktor Shokin was targeting Burisma at the time. Now, the international community didn't like Viktor Shokin anymore, but that doesn't matter. Because there could be a conflict of interest when it comes to why Joe Biden wanted Viktor Shokin to go. Two things could be true at once. One, Viktor Shokin could have been corrupt and a lot of people internationally could have wanted him to go. And two, Joe Biden could have seen an opportunity to do a favor for Burisma while getting rid of the guy with the plausible cover that everybody wanted the guy to go. We'll get to that in just one second. We're going to continue going through the timeline because again, the more you see of the timeline and the more you see of the contemporaneous statements by people involved in Hunter Biden's business, the more damning this becomes. Joe Biden was being called into meetings. He was being called on the phone. He clearly knew what was going on at a vague level. He'd have to know the particulars in the same way that no crime boss knows the particulars. If you ask the heads of the mafia back in the day, if they knew the particulars of, of specific murders, the answer was no. Right? They would say to their, their lower downs, they'd say to their capo regimes, they would say things like, go take care of business. And then the capo regime would go to the hitman and the hitman would go do the thing. And the person at the top of the chain never knew. That was the whole idea. The whole idea is that if you're the most powerful person in an organization, you always have plausible deniability as to what your associates are doing. The money just magically enters your bank account. You have no idea how it got there. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, we're days away from the Durban Accords, the greatest threat to the US dollar's global dominance in the past 80 years. This is when 
BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, are expected to announce the launch of a new international super currency fully backed by gold and other commodities. That is in competition with the United States dollar, obviously. You can protect your IRA or 401k from the fallout from this announcement by diversifying with gold from Birch Gold. Historically, gold has been a safe haven in times of high uncertainty. That includes right now. Birch Gold, that the people I buy my gold from, so do thousands of other concerned savers. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Protect your savings with gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. Text Ben to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, well, you know, you're going to want to diversify. By the way, diversification, just a smart strategy across the board. If you're afraid of inflation, if you're afraid of economic stagnation, then having at least some of your money in precious metals is a smart thing to do. It'll be nice to have some gold to depend on in hard times. Again, text Ben to 989898 to get started. Text Ben to 989898. That gets you in touch with my friends over at Birch Gold to get started today. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values. And that when people say free, they should mean, you know, actually free. When you switch to Pure Talk today, you will get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. No four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last, rugged screen, quick charging battery, top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family will save almost $1,000 a year. So... I challenge you to choose a company that actually shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Switch to my cell phone company. I've been using Pure Talk for years at this point. I can tell you that coverage is excellent. I trust them. You can too. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and switch to my cell phone company today. puretalk.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so... Back to the timeline. April 23rd, 2014, right? So we already found out that on April 22nd, a Singaporean company that was originally connected with a Kazakhstani businessman had wired $142,300 to a Rosemont Seneca entity. The next day after that, the Rosemont entity wired $142,300, the same amount, to a car dealership to buy a new sports car for Hunter Biden, right? So there's money that's flowing directly to Hunter Biden. Meanwhile, China BHR, right, which is that original Chinese firm that Hunter formed with the Chinese government, essentially, and then took Air Force Two to China to to make sure that all of that got greenlit. They invested $1.7 billion in a Chinese communist government party linked petroleum and chemical company. And then in December of 2014, Hunter Biden and business invested almost $500,000 into BHR. And then in December of 2014, That Kazakhstani oil company and Burisma joined with the Chinese company to announce a transnational financial arrangement. So this is Hunter Biden basically brokering all of his connections. And now he's got the Kazakhstani oil company and Burisma and the Chinese government all working together. And then we move forward in 2015. And here's where things start to get really, really hot. This is where Joe Biden's involvement becomes pretty apparent. So March 20th, 2015, Hunter Biden organizes a business dinner at Cafe Milano in Washington, D.C., where he has his father stop by the dinner to meet a high-level Burisma official, Vadim Porzarsky. Right, this is pretty, Hunter is now connecting his daddy in with the folks over at Burisma. This is about the same time that the head of Burisma during 2015 is apparently telling a confidential human source who reports in 2020 to the FBI that, quote, it costs $5 million to pay one Biden and $5 million to pay another Biden. Apparently, Zlovchevsky, quote, made some comment that although Hunter Biden was stupid and Zlovchevsky's dog was smarter, 
Slavchevsky needed to keep Hunter Biden on the board so everything will be okay. The confidential human source who reported this to the FBI inquired whether Hunter Biden or Joe Biden told Slavchevsky he should retain Hunter Biden. And Slavchevsky replied, they both did. They both did. Okay, so according to Zlovchevsky, confidential human source now reporting this to the FBI, this is the document that Senator Chuck Grassley released this week. Zlovchevsky, the head of Burisma, said that he paid money to the Bidens in order to obtain Joe Biden's support for Burisma. And we know that Hunter Biden was organizing dinners in March 2015, where he had his dad stop by to meet a high-level Burisma official, a guy named Vadim Porzharsky. September of 2015. BHR, that's the Chinese company, joined with another Chinese entity to acquire a U.S.-based automotive company in a deal reportedly worth $600 million. In November of 2015, Porzharsky, the guy who met Joe Biden, suggests that high-level U.S. officials come to Ukraine and talk with Viktor Shokin and President Petro Poroshenko about Mykola Zlovchevsky's investigations. Zlovchevsky, again, is the head of Burisma. Shokin was investigating Burisma and Burisma's owner, Zlovchevsky, for fraud. Shokin is the Ukrainian government official. Vice President Biden demanded that Poroshenko then fire. That is in November, early November of 2015. And as I say, according to the confidential human source, Zlovchevsky is openly suggesting at this point that he is paying Hunter and Joe in 2015-2016. Okay, in November, a few days later, Amos Hochstein, a high-level U.S. government official working in the Obama-Biden administration, met with Hunter Biden to discuss Burisma. And then Hochstein few days later, met with Vice President Biden in the West Wing. A few days, one day after that, Hochstein called Hunter Biden. So clearly Hunter Biden is a player over here. And clearly Hochstein is talking with both Hunter and Joe. November 13th, 2015, Joe Biden announces a trip to Ukraine to take place the first week of December of 2015 and things really heat up. November 14th, 2015, Porzharsky emails Hunter Biden confirmation the VP will be traveling to Ukraine. December 7th, 2015, Hunter and the CEFC chairman, Yi Ming began communicating regarding a possible U.S. partnership. This will become relevant in a little bit. December 7th, 2015. This is when Biden arrives in Ukraine and he demands that Shokin be fired if Ukraine wants a billion dollars in IMF loans. Okay, so just to notice, November, we start having indications that Burisma is under investigation by Shokin. By December, Joe Biden is arriving in Ukraine to talk about firing Shokin openly. December 9th, 2015, Biden departs Ukraine and gets a commitment from Poroshenko that Shokin will be fired. A little bit later, a couple days later, Biden hosts a holiday party at the VP resident. Both Amos Hochstein and Hunter Biden are present during that time. Okay, all of this should be um, getting your uh, hackles up just a little bit. It's a little bit shocking. We'll get to Devon Archer's involvement in all of this in just a second, because we now have information from Devon Archer on Joe Biden's involvement in all of this. First, you know, all of this, Corruption, all of this ugliness it makes it hard to sleep at night. But there is one way I can ensure that you get a better night's sleep. And that, of course, is to personalize your mattress. You personalize your coffee. Why not your mattress? You're spending eight hours on your mattress every single night. So why not get it done the way you want it done with Helix Sleep? Helix has a brand new collection, Helix Elite. The Helix Elite collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. I've had my Helix Sleep mattress for, I don't know, at this point, six, seven years. It is great. It is the thing keeping me alive since we have many children and a dog. Nervous about buying a mattress online? Well, you don't have to be because they have a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. I've got firm but breathable, which is what I need. Go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take that two-minute sleep quiz. Find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Your mattress will come directly to your door for free. Plus, 
Helix has a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you're going to love it. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders, plus two free pillows for our listeners. It's their best offer yet. Hurry on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben with Helix. Better sleep starts right now. Okay, so, so much rest on Joe Biden claiming that throughout this period, he had no idea what was going on. But here is the problem. According to Devon Archer, as the New York Post reports, quote, Hunter Biden went to Allen, his father, then Vice President Joe Biden on speakerphone into meetings with his overseas business partners, according to testimony expected before Congress this week from Archer. Okay, so apparently Hunter would just get Joe on the phone. Now, again, Joe can claim that he has no knowledge of the specifics of these business dealings. He doesn't have to know, right? This is very easy for Joe. The plausible deniability is where all of the doubt lives, right? The plausible deniability goes something like this. Joe is in charge of Ukraine policy. Hunter is getting paid up the wazoo by Burisma to basically be a drunken, derelict, prostitute-using John who snorts cocaine off the carpets and happens to have the Biden last name. And the Burisma owners are like, yeah, we're connected to Joe and we're connected to Hunter. And so we'll make sure that Joe can get gets in the neck. So meanwhile, you have American officials talking with Hunter and then going back to Joe. And they're like, you know who's really corrupt? This Victor Shokin guy. And Joe's looking into it. He's got his people looking. And all of them are saying, yeah, Shokin is corrupt. We can get rid of him. And Joe says, well, okay, you know, no harm, no foul. I'll push for the ouster of Victor Shokin. I'll push for him to get rid of that because, again, the entire international community wants a thing to happen. And if it just so happens, that's kind of good for Hunter and it's good for the company he's connected with. And, you know, the people who I've talked to on speakerphone, who I don't even recognize them. I mean, Hunter just, Hunter just puts me on the phone with people and I say, hi. That's all Joe's Biden, Joe Biden's role in this is. He is just the shadowy figure who gets called on the phone every so often by his son. And as we'll see, Hunter is very fond of using this particular tactic, as we'll see when we fast forward to 2017 in China. He uses this particular tactic quite openly. We have evidence that he uses this tactic quite openly. Okay, so January 20th, 2016, we've now entered 2016. VP Biden meets with Petro Poroshenko, then the president of Ukraine, at the World Economic Forum, and Biden reinforces the linkage between the loan guarantee and the necessary reforms. The next month, Mykolaiv Slovchevsky, Again, the head of Burisma, who, according to Confidential Human Source, thinks Hunter Biden is dumber than his dog, gives Hunter Biden unspecified extravagant birthday gifts. A few days later, Biden and Poroshenko conduct another call. Meanwhile, Poroshenko is asking Shokin to resign. That's February 16th of 2016. Two days later, Biden personally calls Poroshenko to thank him for calling on Shokin to resign. A couple of days later, Shokin actually does resign. And again, the money just keeps on flowing. By March 2016, Shokin is gone. Ukrainian parliament approves Poroshenko's firing of Shokin. And the money just keeps on flowing. It keeps on flowing. Okay, so now we're getting to the period where Joe Biden is out of office. So what is Joe Biden going to do now that he's out of office? And the answer is Hunter is going to go shake down the Chinese on the basis that China is going to be connected to Joe and Joe still has a lot of connections. So 2017 now. So Joe Biden is exiting office. BHR invests $460 million. That's the Chinese company of which Hunter is a part. Invests $460 million in a Chinese facial recognition company. In February of 2017, Chairman Yi Jianmeng of CEFC gives Hunter Diamond a diamond. Hunter Biden a diamond worth 80 grand after having dinner together in Miami, Florida. On March 1st, 2017, Chairman Yi Jianming's company wires $3 million to Robinson Walker, LLC. That that is an entity owned by a Biden associate, Rob Walker. 
a couple of days later, Robinson Walker wires unspecified Biden accounts five grand. And then a few days after that, another 25 grand. And then a few days after that, another 25 grand. And then a little bit later, again, this is all in the month of March, another 50 grand. Okay, so just during March, Robinson Walker wires accounts associated with Joe Biden $200,000. Let me correct that. Because on March 31st, there are another two payments for 150. So $350,000 gets paid from Robinson Walker, which is being paid by the Chinese, to Hunter Biden's various accounts. Okay, and then the, the wires keep on coming. April, 50 grand to a James Biden account. Another 50 grand to a James Biden account. 10 grand to a Hunter Biden account. 300 grand to a Hunter Biden account. This is all in April. These are large amounts of money that are being wired by associates of Hunter Biden to Hunter Biden via the Chinese. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. In May of 2017, Joe Biden attends a CEFC meeting at the Four Seasons in LA, according to a Biden family member associate. So this is, I presume, what, what Tony Bobulinski is talking about. Bobulinski says, I've heard Joe Biden say he has never discussed his dealings with Hunter. That's false. I have firsthand knowledge about this because I directly dealt with the Biden family, including Joe Biden. So hundreds of thousands of dollars are now going from the Chinese to Rob Walker's company and from Rob Walker's company to Hunter Biden and James Biden. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Probably millions when you add it all up. And Joe Biden, again, all you have to do is Joe Biden walks through the room and they bring him by and, and he waves to the Chinese and he walks away. On May 13th, 2017, there's an email between Biden business associates about the ownership of this particular CEFC deal. That's the Chinese deal. This is the very famous email from Hunter's laptop mentioning 10 held by H for the big guy. Now, we know from a variety of other documents that the big guy generally refers to Joe Biden. So, again, the idea here is that Hunter is holding in escrow, essentially, a bunch of money or could be, if the deal goes through, a bunch of money for Joe Biden. July 30th, 2017. This is the one where it becomes absolutely clear how this operation works. July 30th, 2017. In a WhatsApp message to a Chinese company, Hunter Biden says, quote, please have the director call me, not James or Tony or Jim. Have him call me tonight. I am sitting here with my father. We would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. I am very concerned that the chairman has either changed his mind and broken our deal without telling me, or that he is unaware of the promises and assurances that have been, that, that have been made that have not been kept. Tell, tell the director, I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction. All too often, people mistake kindness for weakness, and all too often, I am standing over the top of them saying, I warned you, from this moment until whenever he reaches me. Hunter Biden then continued, quote, okay, my friend, I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. I sure hope whatever you are doing is very, very, very important. So that is Hunter openly saying to Chinese business partners, make the money happen. I'm sitting here with my daddy, and my daddy is very well connected, and my daddy can make things happen that are very, very bad for you. A few days later, August 2nd, 2017, the arrangement between CEFC and the Biden family changes because the original Biden associates are now removed. Hunter Biden writes, quote, the chairman changed that deal after we met in Miami to a much more lasting and lucrative arrangement to create a holding company, 50% owned by me, 50% owned by him. Consulting fees is one piece of our income stream, but the reason this proposal by the chairman was so much more interesting to me and my family and my family is that we would also be partners in the equity and profits of the JV investments. The joint entity, a few days later, is formed 50% owned by CEFC agent Gong Wen Dong, who is a Chinese communist agent, and 50% owned by Hunter Biden. The next day, in a WhatsApp exchange, Hunter Biden tells CEFC associate Dong, quote, the Bidens are the best I know at doing exactly what the chairman wants from this partnership. 
And now the money starts flowing. $100,000 from CEFC to Hunter Biden's company, Owasco PC. CEFC, uh, one day later or four days later, wires $5 million to Hudson West the, the three, which is another fund in which Hunter is associated. September 21st, 2017, Hunter Biden requests keys made at his office shared with his Chinese partners. November 8th, 2017, Patrick Ho, a CEFC agent in America, is arrested at JFK Airport on suspicion of bribery and money laundering on behalf of CEFC China. In March of 2018, Yi Mang, who's the head of CEFC, was detained by Chinese authorities for suspected economic crimes. His whereabouts remain unknown, so presumably he's dead. Presumably the Chinese government killed him. Okay, all of this is insanely corrupt. Okay, and remember, Hunter Biden says, quote, this is October of 2019, Hunter neither played a role in the formation or licensure of BHR nor owned any equity in it while his father was vice president. He served only as a member of its board of directors where he joined based on his interest in seeking ways to bring Chinese capital to international markets. It was an unpaid position. To date, Hunter has not received any compensation for being on BHR's board of directors. He has not received any return on his investment. There have been no distributions to BHR shareholders since Hunter obtained his equity interest. Moreover, Hunter played no role in directing or making BHR's investments. Hunter intends to resign from the BHR board of directors on or by October 31st, 2019. Um, yeah, no. I'm going to go no on all of that. So all of this is deeply suspicious, obviously. And here's the thing. The... The IRS knows about all of this. Okay, the cover-up is what's truly astonishing. According to IRS whistleblowers, the amount of money that was cleared by Hunter Biden during the period 2014 to 2019 was like $11 million. Like tons and tons and tons of money, much of which Hunter never paid taxes on and the IRS didn't investigate. And according to those IRS, the, those IRS whistleblowers, they were sabotaged in their efforts to search storage units of hunters. They were not allowed to obtain search warrants. They were not allowed to ask witnesses about the big guy. They were told not to dig into this. I mean, this is deeply suspicious stuff. Again, one of the IRS whistleblowers testifies it wasn't 11 million. He testified to $17.3 million from 2014 to 2019 in total foreign income streams through various shell companies to Hunter and his associates. That includes $3.1 million from Romania, $3 million from State Energy HK, a firm affiliated with the CCP and CEFC, another $3.7 million from CEFC affiliated Hudson West 3, and $6.5 million from Burisma. Of that $17.3 million, apparently Hunter received $8.3 million. The rest went to immediate family members and associates. Again, I read to you the text that Hunter Biden sent to his own daughter in 2019, quote, I hope you all can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard. But don't worry, unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary. Do we really believe? Do we really believe that Joe Biden knew about none of this and benefited from none of this? That Joe Biden was pure as the driven snow. His son was running around all over the world using his name. He was calling his daddy on the phone during business meetings. He was having his father stop by business meetings. He was meeting with officials. We're meeting with his father. Are we really supposed to believe that Joe Biden was sitting there off in the corner and no benefit accrued to him and he knew nothing about any of this? It's absurd. It's absurd on its face. And everybody knows it's absurd on its face. And when he's vice president and he's doing this sort of stuff, if he was actually affecting Ukraine policy based on this, which it appears he was, then that's actual bribery. Hey, that's the kind of stuff that people get impeached for. The stuff he was doing in 2017, which is influence peddling, isn't illegal. It's ugly, but it's not illegal. It also happens to be that Joe Biden was lying consistently to the American people. When he says over and over and over, I know nothing about my son's business dealings, while squiring his son personally on Air Force Two to China so he can pick up foreign bags of cash, that is obviously a lie. You know how it's really a lie? Because yesterday the White House gave away the game. So the White House press secretary, world's most untalented press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, 
She was specifically asked about Joe Biden saying he knew nothing about the businesses with his son. And here was her answer. Uh, Chairman James Comer today says that the oversight committee, excuse me, has evidence that the president in the past communicated directly with foreign business associates of his son, Hunter Biden, many times. Curious if the White House and the president still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even uh, spoken to his son about his so I've been, I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president ha- was never in business with his son. I just don't have anything else to add. That is not the same answer. That's not the same answer. She says the answer never changed, and then she changes the answer. Notice the phraseology of the question there. The phraseology of the question that the reporter asks is, did Joe Biden know about the business with his son? Did he know about the business with his son, or did he benefit from any of the business? And her answer is, he was never, quote, in business with his son. He was never in business with his son. That is a very lawyerly answer. As a lawyer, let me tell you, that is a very lawyerly answer. Because when he says in business, what is the definition of in business? Seriously, what's the definition of in business? So my wife and I share a bank account. Are we in business together? Not really. She doesn't work for me. I don't work for her. We're married. We share a bank account. Now, are our financial activities deeply intertwined? Like completely 100% intertwined? Abso-frickin-lutely. Does that mean I'm in business with my wife? No, we're not technically in business. I'm in business with my business partners, right? I own joint stock in our company with them. I have many business partners and we all own stock together and like Daily Wire and other businesses that I own. I'm in business with them. Am I in business with my wife or with my children? I'm technically not. But does the money flow to my wife from our bank account? Of course. Notice what they're doing there. That is the most squirrely language available. That is a big change from I never knew a damn thing. I never spoke with my son about this. Joe Biden was lying when he said that. And he's lying when he says that he never benefited from this. It's very difficult to see how he's not lying, in fact. And they're asking you to pull the wool over your own eyes. They're asking you to be an idiot. And so the question is, how stupid do you want to be? Again, I think that the the straight line from here to impeachment is pretty clear. And it appears that there's going to be a lot more digging and a lot more data that is going to emerge. I, I can't get over that text in which Joe, in which Hunter, he just, there are multiple instances of Hunter Biden acknowledging the scheme. There are multiple, there, there's a literal WhatsApp message where he's saying, my daddy's sitting next to me. Send me money. My daddy's right next to me. He's literally telling his own daughter that he picks up bags of cash for his dad. And we're supposed to believe that this is all above board. Absolute nonsense. We'll get to the, the uh, one of the kickers here in just one second. First, In a world filled with uncertainty, it's crucial to be ready for whatever comes your way. Whether it's a natural disaster, a sudden emergency, or unforeseen circumstances, having a reliable food storage system can provide you with peace of mind and the assurance you and your loved ones will be well taken care of. Right now, My Patriot Supply is offering 25% off a three-month food supply to help you stay prepared for anything. Go to preparewithben.com. Grab the special price before it ends. Your three-month emergency food supply provides over 2,000 calories each day for optimal strength and energy in stressful situations. You can enjoy a wide variety of My Patriot Supply and you can customize your supply. They offer an ultimate breakfast kit, a mega protein kit with real meat, even a gluten-free kit. The best part of each meal, it's delicious. It has a shelf life of up to 25 years. Don't wait for disaster to strike before taking action. Invest in your safety and well-being by securing your food storage today. Go to preparewithben.com. Get 25% off your three-month emergency food supply. Go to preparewithben.com right now. That is preparewithben.com right now. Again, it's just a smart thing to do. Make sure that you have the emergency food supply in case, God forbid, something happens. You'll buy it. You'll forget about it. And then you'll remember it when you need it. Go to preparewithben.com right now. Also, are you sick of wool corporations dragging your values through the mud? Well, I have right here in these hands 
the magical Jeremy's Razor hand soap. Jeremy's hand soap, it is the perfect solution for everyday grit and grime. Not to mention, it smells delightful. It's scented with green tea and citrus and the tears of the left. Jeremy actually cares about you. He didn't put any of that paraben stuff in his hand. So I don't even know what paraben is, but it's bad. Not only is it paraben free, it's also free of sulfates. Don't know what those are either, but they're bad. Just like DEI and ESG, and those aren't in here either. Plus, not tested on animals and it's made right here in the United States. What more could you want from your hand soap than clean hands while keeping a clean conscience? Do yourself a favor, wash your hands of hypocritical leftists once and for all. It is the ideal addition to your bathroom or kitchen sink as you liberate your home from the influence of woke companies and also germs. Go to jeremysrazors.com. Order this delightful green tea and citrus hand soap today. Okay, meanwhile, the gall of the Biden family in assuming that you are a moron is truly astonishing. I mean, the, the most obvious example is Hunter Biden, a crack addict, deciding to become an artiste. He's an artiste, guys. He's just, you know, He's like some of the people from La Boheme. And he lives in, a, in an apartment and he paints in his free time and he paints masterpieces. And, and those masterpieces go for like half a million dollars to unspecified buyers. So, I mean, in fact, Hunter Biden's paintings are so amazing that he can deny them to his own biological child, his name. But if he gives her the masterpieces, then that makes up for it. These amazing works of art. So one of the questions that's always been hanging over this is this pretty obvious money laundering routine where Hunter Biden is clearly selling these pieces to unspecified buyers who are allies of the Biden family is who are the people who are buying this? Well, now we know, according to one report, Insider is reporting that L.A. real estate investor Elizabeth Hirsch Naftali, who has given tens of thousands of dollars to the political left, purchased a piece of Joe Biden's artwork. Several months after Hunter Biden's art went on sale, the president appointed Naftali to the Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad. Oh, how magical. So um, so Hunter Biden's art goes on sale. Some lady buys the art for way too much money. And then she also magically appears on the president's commission for the preservation of America's heritage abroad. Wow. Wow. The report said it was not clear if the art she purchased came before or after she was appointed to the commission. Hunter Biden wrote in an email discovered on his abandoned laptop that he could have sway in who gets on the commission. So Hunter Biden literally wrote an email where he's like, you know, I could probably figure out who gets on the commission for the preservation of America's heritage abroad. Also, I paint finger paintings. Who wants to buy a finger painting? And everybody's like, yeah, I'd like to be on the commission for the preservation of America's heritage. I will buy your finger painting. Another owner of Hunter Biden's art is L.A. attorney Kevin Morris, who was recently spotted smoking a bong during a visit with the president's son. How nice. The New York Times said Morris might have received the art as a gift. while insiders said that Morris purchased the art. One buyer, identity unknown, reportedly purchased 11 pieces of Hunter Biden's paintings for $875,000. $875,000 for 11 garbage paintings by Hunter Biden? Jen Psaki said at the time, all interactions regarding the selling of art and the setting of prices will be handled by a professional gallerist adhering to the highest professional standards. Yes, I am sure. I am sure that uh, there is no corruption. It is all above board. See, the thing is, they do all this out in the open and they know the press is never going to ask about it. And they also know the press is going to downplay it. Now, if this were the Trump family, and let's say that Don Jr. had gone around the world picking up bags of cash while his dad was president, like picking up the bags of cash and pretty obviously funneling it to his dad. And also pretty obviously calling his daddy on the phone while all of this was happening. Do you think that maybe that would have earned some media? But instead, here's the narrative. Again, the narrative to go back to the beginning. The narrative here is Joe Biden is such a good, caring father. How dare you ask him about Hunter? He is a caring father and he's had a tragic life filled with tragedy. And because of his tragic life filled with tragedy, there's some truth to that. That means that you should not ask about this. In fact, it is, it is appalling that anyone would ask about any of this. 
Well, here's the thing. I think a lot of Democrats are getting pretty nervous about Biden, not just because they think that he is actually falling apart as a human being. According to a new Harvard-Harris survey, 59% of registered voters have doubts about the president's mental fitness. But it is that, that by the way, includes 71% of independents who doubt Biden's mental fitness and so do 24% of Democrats, according to this poll. It's not just about that. I think that deep in the back of their minds, Democrats are getting a little worried about the fact that Joe is not actually all that clean and he's never been all that clean. And so they're starting to, you can see it, they're starting to promote Kamala again. They're going to try and make Fetch happen. And Fetch ain't going to happen. Kamala Harris is super bad about this. So Kamala Harris has been speaking a lot more often. She's in the press a lot more often. And here's the problem for them. The more she's in the press, the more people despise her because she is just terrible at this. She is, she inhabits the actual uncanny valley. She's, she's built a summer home in the uncanny valley. So here she is explaining the work that they've done together. I don't know what she's even talking. No one knows what she's talking about. We all just know that she's annoying and obnoxious. And think about what our work together and our progress together has meant mm, to so many people. So many. Oh, I think about the progress. And also Bidenomics, as they call it. They call it <laughs> Bidenomics. All of this is part of our blueprint together for what America blueprint can be. Together. This is Bidenomics. Are her hands connected a to her body? To invest in America Bi- and build uh, a future in which all people can truly it is. thrive. It's Bidenomics. You know, it's by. Um, would it surprise you to learn that there's a person behind Kamala Harris who is actually the arms? You know, like the game that you used to play with like your little brother, where you'd stand behind him and you put your arms out from behind him and you actually move the arms where the arms are disconnected from the actual body. That is Kamala Harris. So good luck with that, Democrats. This is working out great. You got your corrupt elderly daughtered president backed up by Kamala Harris, the worst politician who has ever been put to paper. Um, so good luck with that. And meanwhile, the... Republican Party continues to spiral. It is unclear who the nominee is going to be at this point, but it appears that Donald Trump, of course, has the upper hand. As I've said a thousand times, you know, it'd be great is a campaign run against Joe Biden. That would be the best thing is if you ran a campaign against Joe Biden. So the media have two missions here. One is to make sure that Donald Trump is the candidate and the other is to rip down any potential other candidate. So the latest attacks from the media are honestly some of the most scurrilous yet with regard to Ron DeSantis. I got to say, this is just absurd. So first of all, the Republican debates are coming up. The first one is supposed to happen August 23rd. And that really is the the kind of opportunity for somebody to start jumping in the polls is August 23rd. The problem is that Donald Trump has said he's not going to participate in the debates because why should he, as he says, because he is the front runner. There's no point to it. And if he doesn't show up, does anyone care what all of the other sort of all, all the little people in the race are? What does it doesn't matter them fighting with each other? Like what difference does it make? It doesn't make. So the people who qualified so far are DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy. Chris Christie says he wants to do it as well. Former Vice President Pence might not actually make the debate stage because you have to have at least 40,000 individual donors and 1% in three national polls of Republican voters. Uh, he doesn't have that number of donors yet, I think is, is the idea. Uh, but if Trump's not on the stage, what difference does any of this make? And that's really the question. Is it Trump or is it somebody else, right? That's the big question. Everybody knows that's the big question. And so the media are trying to take out the everybody else. So the biggest potential rival right now is Ron DeSantis. Everybody knows that as much as I like Vivek Ramaswamy personally, Vivek is not taking the nomination away from Trump. He's not even running against Trump. Vivek's entire nominating strategy would, would basically be if Donald Trump keels over, then maybe he gets the nomination. 
And, and so he's not, he, he's basically running a very, very Trump supportive campaign. DeSantis obviously is the one being attacked by Trump at this point. And the media are helping him out. They're doing so with lies. Their latest lie is that Ron DeSantis is sponsoring some sort of curriculum here in the state of Florida that is anti-black, which is absurd. The, the African-American curriculum in the state of Florida was written by a commission largely comprised of black academics. We've talked about this. There are two specific things that the left is claiming that this particular curriculum does. One, they're claiming that the curriculum talks up the benefits of slavery. Why? Because there's a phrase in the curriculum saying that some slaves used skills that they learned while they were slaves to benefit themselves after they were slaves. That is not about the wonders of slavery. That's about the resiliency and amazing entrepreneurialism of the slaves. Clearly, it is not about the wonders of slavery, you, you idiots and you liars. Because that is one. The other one is that apparently the curriculum talks about the white on black violence that occurred during particular race riots in the United States, as well as black on white violence that also occurred in some of these race riots. Okay, well, yeah, that's a thing that happened. I mean, you can pretend it didn't happen, but it absolutely did happen. Now, does that mean that the race riots were not based on white supremacy? No. But was there violence that also occurred toward white people? Sure. I mean, like, I, it's all a lie. But the media are going to run with the lie to try and portray Ron DeSantis as a racist. This is the dumbest thing. It really is garbage. And yet you're seeing the media pick up on this. Of course, of course, it's pretty obvious they think that Trump is the one that, that they can beat most easily. Here is Stephen A. Smith going after Ron DeSantis. But the more I see stories like this, the more it alerts me to the fact that Ron DeSantis, you don't need to be governor. I'm sorry, you don't need to be president either. The battles that he's fighting are just unconscionable. Why is the governor concerning himself with African-American studies? By the way, in the state of Florida, it's been, be it's, it's, it's been being taught since 1994. Why are you concerning yourself with such things? And when it says here, because I want to make sure that I'm quoting it correctly, bars and structures in schools that suggest anyone is privileged or oppressed based on their race or skin color. Are you trying to deny the fact that white folks have been privileged compared to other races of people in this country? Are you kidding me? That is a fact that even white folks haven't denied. Okay, can we stop it right there? Stephen, have been and have been and are are not the same thing. Of course, white people were privileged based on their race in 1960. Are they privileged based on their race in 2023? I don't know, Stephen A. Smith, since you have a $13 million a year salary from ESPN. $13 million a year, this dude sitting here talking about how rough black people have it in the United States compared to white people overall in the United States. I'm sorry, this is not 1960. In fact, I'm very happy it's not 1960. Like this is it, truly amazing. Meanwhile, Washington Post, Eugene Robinson doing the exact same thing. The, the number of lies that people will tell in order to go after a candidate. And by the way, it shows you what the media's actual agenda, what their actual agenda is. Because if their agenda were to stop Trump, they would presumably not be elevating Trump at the expense of his opponents. But that's precisely what they're doing. This is why I don't believe them. When they say Trump is a fascist and the, the, the country's at stake and it's going to be the end of the country and all this, I don't believe you. Because if somebody is actually a true threat to the republic, you know what you do? You try to defeat them at every stage. I will give you an example of this. I think Bernie Sanders is a true threat to the United States. I think Bernie Sanders' ideology is just wrong. I thought in 2020 that Bernie Sanders would be a far more defeatable candidate by Donald Trump than Joe Biden. I wanted Joe Biden to win the primaries because I did not want Bernie Sanders to be president of the United States. Because I actually do think that Bernie Sanders is a threat to the country. The Democrats don't think that, which is why they're perfectly willing to elevate Donald Trump. So they're liars on both scores. They're liars about DeSantis and they're liars about Trump. Here they are going after DeSantis again based on a lie. 
My conclusion is that Vice President Harris and our editorial board are right here because not only in that passage, but in other passages as, as well, the standards seem to me to be attempting to sort of um, contextualize American slavery in the wrong context, to normalize it, really, to, to kind of say, well, other people had, you know, others, people at other times had slavery. Um, and, and they don't, in my estimation, adequately uh, explain the, the unique horror that was American chattel, chattel slavery. I'm sorry, this is, all, this is all, but again, it's about, for the Democrats, upholding Trump. They, they think Trump is more, maybe they're wrong, maybe they're wrong. Maybe Trump ends up getting the nomination then crushes Biden, maybe. Or maybe Democrats are right and they, they're trying to elevate Trump for a reason. Meanwhile, is Trump running against Joe Biden? Is Trump really going after Joe Biden very hard? Of course not. He's going after Ron DeSantis and Jack Smith. Those are his actual targets. So here is Donald Trump going after DeSantis. If they don't like Ron DeSanctimonious now, they won't like him any better six months from now with the start of primary season. The more people get to know him, the lower his polls are going. He's now in the mid-teens and falling fast. He will soon not be number two. Looks like it won't happen much longer. But uh, he deserves it because he's a very disloyal person. Make America great again. Thank you very much. I mean, again, is everything a test of loyalty to Donald Trump personally? This is what you want to run the campaign based on? So not on Joe Biden's corruption. Not on Joe Biden not being capable of doing his job. Not on his crap policies that are placing the American economy in a position of permanent stagnance and our foreign policy in a position of permanent weakness. Not on that. We want to run on personal loyalty. All right. I mean, I guess if Republicans want to do it, this is exactly what they're going to get. Okay. Meanwhile, just want to bring you the latest over in Israel. Supposedly, Israeli democracy is on the brink of absolute destruction. Why? Well, because the Israeli Knesset, the parliament over there, with a 64 vote majority, voted in favor of a law, an amendment to what they call the basic law, which is kind of the quasi constitution, but not really, over in Israel, that says that the Supreme Court of Israel cannot simply overturn any executive or administrative action on the basis of quote unquote reasonableness. So imagine that the president of the United States issued an executive order and the Supreme Court didn't determine whether it was inside the authority of the president. They just determined whether it was, quote unquote, reasonable. You see how this would be a problem, because this means that the Supreme Court is basically a dictatorship. They now get to use their own judgment of what is reasonable to substitute for an elected person or an elected body's judgment for what is is reasonable, which makes them not a court. It makes them an actual legislature, just not elected. Okay, so. The originally proposed judicial reform package by Likud and by the majority in Israel was a lot more far-reaching than that. It allowed a change in how the Supreme Court justices were selected. It got rid of attorneys that existed within every bureaucratic department in Israel that allowed them to preemptively strike down pieces of legislation and, and, and other measures taken by those departments. In, uh, the judiciary is extraordinarily powerful in Israel because it has irrigated to itself. It has, it has simply usurped an extraordinary amount of power since the 1990s. Because basically the judiciary, which has been a preserve of the left in Israel for a very long time, saw the rise of the political right in Israel and said, we better grab a bunch of power right now to prevent the elected branches from taking that power later. And that's really what the battle in Israel is about. The, the, the real story in Israel is that the breakdown of the Israeli population is effective among the Jewish population is about 80% of the entire population of Israel is Jewish. About 20% is Arab, Muslim, Christian. The, the 80% breaks down about 40% is what you would call chiloni, which are people who are secular. And then the other 40%, it's really split right down the half, is people who would be considered masorti, which means traditional. People who are dati umi, which would be like religious Zionist. And then people who are Haredi, which is like the ultra-Orthodox. And so the 
Chilonim, they serve disproportionately in the army. They pay a disproportionate share of the taxes, largely because the Haredim do not serve in the army and pay almost no tax because their income is too low. So the Chilonim have for a long time had sort of a tacit deal where it's like, we will pay the welfare and we will shoulder the burden, but we also get the political power. And now the demographics are turning against them. And so they're freaking out about all of that. They're afraid, essentially, of a shift in Israel from their power to the power of the opposition. This election was a perfect example of that because the opposition right now is secular parties as well as Arab parties. And the coalition is essentially ultra-Orthodox parties, religious Zionist parties, and Likud. That is, that, that is the current coalition. And what the fundamental debate is, is how Jewish is the state going to be, right? In terms of sort of religious precepts. So the, the idea of the left is that this is a state where a lot of Jews live, but it's basically run just like the United States or like any other liberal democracy. And the idea of the political right in Israel is that it's still going to be a liberal democracy, but it's going to have more Jewish elements of it. So for example, buses not running in particular areas on Sabbath or the ability of Haredim to have sex segregated workspaces, stuff like that. Right? They, they, or, or whether there should be chametz, like leaven, in the hospitals on, on Passover. Right? These, are, these are the questions that in Israel actually have significant impact. Okay, but here is the thing. The rift that is over judicial reform isn't over that because the actual reform is pretty mild. And there are these mass protests and they've been going on for months and months and months and months. And the idea was that the protesters were simply going to shut down the economy, shut down the roads, shut down everything until they got their way. This means the Israeli government can't abide this, especially because the reservists were saying they were not going to serve if the government did what it wanted to do. No country can survive a bunch of people who are not elected dictating to the elected government what the elected government should do. It means that elections have no meaning. So, of course, this thing had to pass. Now, I'll tell you one thing that didn't. So it, not only did it have to pass, it's actually a good piece of legislation. The White House, the Biden White House, pathetically, actually sounded off on this piece of legislation. I'm not aware that the Biden White House does this routinely anywhere else except for Israel. Truly, there's no other Western Democratic ally of the United States where the United States sounds off on their internal politics. Joe Biden doesn't make statements about the economic policies of France. He doesn't make statements about the immigration policies of the UK. Only when it comes to Israel does he feel the necessity to actually speak out about all of this. But here's the thing. The reason that so much of this divide is being exaggerated is because of media coverage of the divide and pol politicians in Israel who, like politicians in America, have a stake in playing up the idea that we have reached crisis point and everything's on fire. That's why you have to support me. It's not true. Everybody who's Chiloni in Israel has a cousin who's Dati Lumi, and everybody who's Dati Lumi has a cousin who's Chiloni. And at, at the end of the day, everybody's going to end up going over to each other's house for Shabbat, right? That's the basic idea. But if the media exacerbate it, if the political leadership exacerbates it, it gets worse. So take a perfect example. In the aftermath of this very mild judicial reform being passed, the, there's a, an ultra, a Haredi party, an ultra-Orthodox party called the United Torah Judaism Party, UTJ. And they proposed a basic law aimed at saying, quote, Torah study is a supreme value in the heritage of the Jewish people, and therefore, it is an equivalent to serving in the army. So instead of actually having to serve in the army, because the Haredim generally get religious exemptions, that was originally based on David Ben-Gurion, the first prime minister of the state of Israel, who is a secular, he made a deal with the ultra-Orthodox that in return for their support of the government, he would exempt, at the time, I think, I believe it was 600 yeshiva students from having to serve in the army today. That exemption is like 60,000 people a year being exempted. Just demonstrating, once again, all government programs get very, very large. In any case, the, there's been this basic conflict between the seculars and, by the way, the Dati Lumi and the Masorti against the Haredi, where the Haredi are saying that us studying in yeshiva all day Talmud is the equivalent of you serving in the army, which, to my mind, is a, an incorrect and wrong position morally. From a Torah perspective, I think it's wrong. As an Orthodox Jew, I think it's wrong. 
You know, again, just go back to the Bible. And the fact is that that pretty much everybody in the Bible is a warrior scholar. In any case, put aside the actual halacha, the Jewish law of all of this, which, you know, I'm invested in, but I know a lot of my listeners don't care. But here is the here is sort of the the basic thing. The media played up this proposal by UTJ to exempt all Haredim from army service basically forever enshrined in basic law. There's only one problem. The coalition is not backing this. This is the headline right now at the Jerusalem Post. Oh my God, Like the, the, the theocracy has begun. There's only one problem. Likud, which is the leading party in the majority, in a, in a coalition with UTJ, says, quote, this is not on the table and will not be advanced. It will not be advanced. Another Haredi party, Shas, right, which is a Sephardic Haredi party, actually said that their party was in shock the proposal was even put forward without its knowledge or consent. So in other words, what the media are attempting to do is, of course, play up the exaggerated differences in order to jar more discontent. That's the basic idea here, and it's, and it's really gross. Everybody needs to take a breath. By the way, I say the same thing in the United States. Here's language I don't like in the United States. The next election is the last election. And guess what? It ain't. When Joe Biden won the last election, guess what? It wasn't the last election. And in fact, the person who was defeated by Joe Biden is likely to be the Republican nominee next time around. In Western democracies, language that people should never use is this is the end of the country, like the end of the country. Because guess what? It almost certainly is not. And you're going to have to deal with that tomorrow. And you're going to have to live in a country with those people tomorrow. And the same thing is true over in Israel. By the way, it's quite possible that over in Israel, after this, um, after this judgment, after this uh, law was passed by the, by the sitting majority, it is quite possible at this point that that is going to be overturned by the Supreme Court. This is how crazy the system is in Israel. The Supreme Court could theoretically, on the basis of reasonableness, overturn a law saying they can't do that. That's how crazy the system is. You know, thank God for the American Constitution. Okay, time for a quick thing I like and then a quick thing that I hate. So things that I like today. So if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, you know, I, I have a basic rule about Rotten Tomatoes. The basic rule about Rotten Tomatoes is that if a, if a movie clocks in at somewhere between 60% and 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, 60% and 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, it's very likely to be a good movie. If it clocks in at above 85%, particularly if it's a cotton candy movie, it's probably crap. And if it clocks in below 50%, it's probably crap. Okay, well, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny fall squarely in that category, right? It's 69% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So the rule applies. And um, I, I don't know why this movie underperformed at the box office other than the IP is a little bit old. And so a lot of the people who have sort of loyalty to the Indiana Jones IP are people older than I am, right? I'm 39. However, this movie is delightful. So I went and took my wife to see it yesterday. And the movie is quite wonderful. The last five minutes of this movie are like the best thing in the Indiana Jones series, maybe since Raiders. I think, I think that it like better than some of the stuff in Last Crusade. The, first of all, the movie is predicated on the notion that Indiana Jones is actually 80 years old. I will say that the de-aging technology used in this movie is so much better than it is in, say, The Irishman or, or Rogue One. It's really advanced a long way. Like the first 20 minutes of the movie is young Harrison Ford. And at least the facial technology is very, very good. I mean, like, much, much better. I saw it on a big screen. Much better. It's They've really advanced. So it won't be long before you have Fred Astaire starring in things again, in all likelihood. But the movie is, again, it's predicated on the idea that Harrison Ford is 80 years old. And he is now living in, like, 1969 America. And he has to go track down, you know, an artifact. But what the movie's really about is, is Harrison Ford a man out of time, right? Is Indiana Jones a man out of time? Or can he find a place in this kind of new world that he's not used to inhabiting? Is there a reason for him to continue living? Because the premise of the movie is that 
they basically tried to undo the Shia LaBeouf of, it all, of all, all of it. You remember that Shia LaBeouf was in, I believe, Crystal Skull. Uh, and, um, and Shia LaBeouf is now, he's been killed in, in the war, presumably the Vietnam War. And, uh, and so Indy has lost his son and he's broken up with his wife, Marion Jones. And, um, and so he, you know, has nothing to live for, basically. And he goes on this kind of one final adventure. There's a callback near the end of this movie. I'm not going to give it away. There's a callback near the end of this movie, Two Raiders. That is one of the best writing reversals I've seen in movies for a very, very long time. Like they, they, a reversal in a movie is where you say a line in a particular way and later there's a callback to the line, but in a completely different way. There's a reversal at the, at the end of this movie that is really one of the most beautiful reversals I've seen in a movie uh, in years. Highly enjoyable. Like all movies today, it's probably 15 minutes too long. Some of the chases go on a little bit too long. But why this movie didn't do better at the box office is beyond me because honestly, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And again, the end makes up for all of it. The end is really, really strong. In the last 10 minutes of this, really great. So highly recommended. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. When my dad said that, I was kind of surprised. And then we heard from producer Zach the same thing. It's, as I say, delightful. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. Okay, so it is amazing to me that the left has decided to own the idea that parents should not, should not be told as social service workers working for the state try to turn their boys into girls and vice versa. This is an insane position. And yet it's now been adopted by wide swaths of the Democratic Party. So Phil Murphy, the governor of New Jersey, who barely won a gubernatorial race, he should have won easily. He lost to a person named Jack. He he won over a guy named Jack Chitterelli. No one knew who the guy was. And he almost lost to him. Well, here's Governor Murphy explaining that, yes, school workers should hide from parents the quote-unquote social transition of their children. This is nuts. Why is Mr. Christie wrong when he says parents are the ones who knows, know best here and they should be involved? Listen, we took these actions because it's the right thing to do to protect these precious young people. Well, uh, one of the attorneys for a school board in Marlboro, one of these districts, said that this um, blocking of a school counselor or a staff member from telling a parent about this is a violation of a constitutional right for a parent to direct and control the upbringing of their children. Why isn't that compelling? Obviously, parents are the, the, the existential uh reality in, in, in the upbringing of any child without question. I don't deny that for one second, but let's not violate the constitution, uh, constitutional and civil rights of precious young folks in many cases who are coming to grips with life and, and as they as they grow up and grow older. Let's be respectful of that. Okay. Again, this is um, this is ridiculous. So you're respectful of five year olds who want to change their gender at the expense of their parents. Um, No. And it just, again, shows you how willing Democrats are to rip kids away from their parents in order to pervert them. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a truly outstandingly extreme statement there from the governor, sitting governor of New Jersey. This is why when people are like, wait, you'd vote for Trump before you'd vote for Biden? Well, yeah. I mean, if, if, if Joe Biden is pushing this kind of garbage, uh-huh, not only will I vote for him, I'll vote for him three times. Right? I mean, like, that, that, that's not a question. One party may be run by a guy who I have real problems with and who I think was dishonest about January 6th and who I think uses rhetoric that is not stuff that I like. And one party is run by people who think that it's okay to take parents, take kids away from parents and tell them that they are members of the other gender and prepare them for a life of misery. Uh, yeah, that's not much of a choice, guys. Alrighty, guys, the rest of the show continues right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be joined by Brett Cooper from the comment section. She disagrees with me on Barbie. 
I'm going to ask her why. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us.